This broadcast is coming to you from unceded Gadigal land. I'd like to pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to the communities of Redfern and Waterloo. Gadigal people have been sharing stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Box. It's the place where each week we sit down with one guest and roll through the stories and songs that make up who they are. My name is Mia Hull and today I'm joined by the City of Sydney Deputy Lord Mayor Jess Scully. Jess is a lot more than just a regular councillor though. She's an art curator and also the author of the book Glimpses of Utopia, which we're going to talk all about throughout the show. Thanks for jumping on out of the box today, Jess. Thank you, Mia. Thank you for making my FBI dream come true. I've always wanted to do this. Oh, it's an honour to have you. (laughs) Jess, in the book, you give yourself another title. You know, along with counsellor and curator and mother, you've called yourself not an Andrew. What does that mean? (laughs) I guess when we think about the people who we elect to represent us, they tend to be older, richer and whiter than the population. You know, Australia and Sydney in particular is a really young, multicultural uh, community. It's it's a place where um, people do all kinds of things to contribute to society. And yet, when we think about the people who we elect to represent us, they tend to be um, white men um, in their 50s um, and they tend to come from a really specific range of industries. So if you look at the federal parliament, for example, there are nine Andrews in federal parliament and that's where that comes from. Um, And the average Australian parliamentarian is a 51-year-old white man with two degrees and one of them is a law degree. He has two houses uh, at least um, and he has two kids. And um, but actually the average, the, the typical Australian is a 38-year-old woman and um, 50, more than 50% of us in Sydney come from, uh, you know, we're either born overseas or we have at least one parent born overseas. You know, in the area that I represent, the city of Sydney, more than half of us are tenants rather than being landlords. So when we don't have people who look like and, and who've had the life experience of the general population representing us and making decisions on our behalf, we can tend to get policy decisions made that reinforce privilege and that have the same perspectives being prioritised. And we've got to shake that up. I love that answer. And yeah, for the rest of the show, we will talk about all of the things that make you not another Andrew, because you certainly don't tick many of the boxes that it takes to be an Andrew. But first, I want to talk about what it means to be the City of Sydney Deputy Lord Mayor. What first attracted you to that role? Uh, Well, I um, have always been passionate about and worked in the creative industry. So I've, you know, worked to support designers and filmmakers and photographers and artists and architects and people who are using creativity and invention, innovation, imagination as their primary, um, I guess, tool or instrument. And I've always believed that 
that the that we need to move Australia from the extraction economy where we just dig things out of the ground and ship them offshore to the creative, the caring, the imagination economy. Um, and so when I was doing that work, you know, over like, you know, 15, 20 years, I, I, I started to discover that the policy decisions that people make, you know, that governments make around who gets support, you know, who gets access to stages and venues and, and which spaces get funded, which spaces get permitted, the, the kind of the shape of the city and how people can get around this, this transport that's available to them, all of those sorts of decisions actually impact the creative culture, who gets to be a maker, who gets to be an audience, all of those, those, those outcomes for the creative world uh, have political um, roots. And so I wanted to get involved and, and help to shape some of those structural enablers or disablers of creative participation and creative production. So I'd always been, so because of that, I became increasingly interested in cities. And then in 2016, um, the Lord Mayor Clover Moore asked me to run on her team. And so I got elected as a councillor in 2016. And then in 2019, I was elected as Deputy Lord Mayor. And so it's been um, a bit of a process and a journey to understand how government works from the inside. Um, but that's sort of what motivated me to want to get involved in the first place. I want to talk about what making those changes from within looks like specifically because you know roughly some of the things you look at are addressing the housing crisis and making more creative spaces in Sydney. What kind of projects have you had a hand in that fulfill those goals? My husband has this this joke where he reckons that it takes me like two drinks to be talking about land value like I'll just like basically everything comes down to to land value like who owns land and um and how it's used uh, those are the sort of like that's the foundation and, and what I'm kind of learning the more time I spend either researching the book and writing the book or in my work in council is that you know who owns the land and who makes decisions about land determines whether housing is affordable. It determines whether you have a venue in a place, a bar, you know, um, a childcare facility, a park, all of those things. We we can't just leave it to the market to decide because if the market decides, let me tell you what's going to be there, two bedroom, two bathroom apartments, um, that's what the market will provide. And so you actually need to intervene at a sort of strategic level um, to to say, okay, what the community needs here is, you know, a creative space, a, a music venue, um, you know, a public park, you know, whatever those outcomes are that, that are really needed for the economy, but also for society. And so I've been involved in a bunch of different projects that are about questioning those fundamentals, the foundations of who decides and what their priorities are. And so there's this one project I'm really proud of, which is called the um, Alternative Housing Ideas Challenge, where basically we went out to the world and we asked for ideas on how you would break and remake this system. And we got back, you know, over, you know, 230 responses from all over the world. The city worked with those teams who came forward with really actionable ideas. Um, and they're developing up ways to try and implement those different approaches to not just housing, but space and making it permanently affordable. And then there's a project I'm working on right now, um, which is a project to get access to space that is already exists or already exists, which is um, student 
housing, um, international student accommodation. A lot of it's empty right now because of the border closures. But wouldn't it be fantastic if some of that was opened up for, um, you know, women in crisis, fleeing domestic violence, people who are in need of affordable housing. And, and I'm doing, you know, the last several months been working with people on, on trying to unlock some of that housing. So there are a hundred different ways in to, to trying to solve this problem, but we've just first got to recognise that the system is broken and we have to try new approaches. What's the first track you picked today, Jess? So this is After the Storm by Carly Uchis and Tyler the Creator and uh, Bootsy Collins. And the video is amazing for this, but I think this is like such an uplifting track and also speaks to me about the fact that, yeah, you know, we go through hard times. We're in a rough patch right now and people are feeling really down. But after the storms, when the flowers bloom, right? So after the storm, you get through the rocky rough times and then wonderful things will blossom and people will bounce back and come back more colorful and vibrant and stronger than before um so that it's about resilience this song on fbi radio 94.5 it's after the storm by kelly uchis featuring tyler the creator and bootsy collins the sun will come out It was Tyler, the creator, teaming up with Bootsy Collins and Kelly Uchis on FBI Radio 94.5. The song was called After the Storm and it was chosen by my guest today on Out of the Box, Deputy Lord Mayor Jess Scully. Jess, I want to jump back a few decades. Tell me about your grandparents, your mum's parents. Uh, so my grandparents, uh, Rosa and Pablo, um, were tailors well grandpa was a tailor and my grandma was a seamstress and um they uh came to australia from chile when gosh actually they would have been just a little bit older than i am now um and um with my my mum who was 17 at the time oh maybe 17 or 18 at the time and um and her brother um who was like 11 and um and yeah they you know, they came to Australia and they really didn't know, they couldn't speak English. They didn't really know very many people. Um, they came here on a, a transit visa, actually. They were supposed to be going to the Philippines and then they just stayed. Uh, and, um, but they, um, they are incredible and they were just, they loved dancing uh, and nightlife. I think they're probably like the nightlife streak of, in me comes from them. Um, and, um, and I spent a lot of time um, in their workroom um, in Fairfield and in, in other parts of Sydney, um, hanging out with them and like admiring their skill. And I suppose learning about craftsmanship and about making from them as well. I mean, I never learned to sew as well as they sew. I mean, they, their patience and skill was vastly beyond my capability. Um, but I think I learned a lot about, about enjoying life and about caring about what you make and what you do from them. They were pretty successful in the space of sewing and tailoring, weren't they? Well, um, my grandpa and his brother had a suit business. You know, they used to make suits for all kinds of people, um, which 
ended up coming in really handy when the military coup happened in Chile because my grandpa was able to, so the military coup happened, you know, uh, my mom was stuck at university about, you know, 1200 kilometers away. So kind of like kind of a Sydney, Melbourne sort of distance. And she was like 17 living in a share house. This military coup happened uh, and they, and she got um, detained. And my grandpa was able to call up um, some of the, the, the army generals that he used to make suits for. And it was through one of the army generals that he was able to get uh, permission and a pass to drive down to Concepcion and to, to retrieve my mum from, from um, where she was being detained. Uh, and it was because of that skill and those connections from being a tailor um, that actually allowed him to, to rescue my mum and then um, eventually helped them sneak out of the country that's remarkable yeah i know right being handy with um pair of scissors and (laughs) and the thread really paid off it sounds like it would have been a tumultuous time for your mum to grow up in chile as well tell me about that i think it was a really difficult time for you know everyone of her generation and you know i think we don't really understand what people go through who have been through basically civil war in their country and I don't think I'll ever really understand it. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, mum and I did an interview with someone, with a journalist together, and, and I learnt a lot of stuff just listening to that interview, you know, sitting in that interview that I'd never heard before, that she'd never shared with me. But you just think everyone who's gone through, who's been displaced and who has to rebuild their lives and then go to a place where, you know, officially they're not supposed to be and they have to make their own support networks and their own ways of surviving is an inc- takes an incredible amount of resilience and strength and positivity and, um, and humour, you know, and that's one of the things that, like, my, my mum really has and, um, you know, I've heard lots of stories about how she and all of the other, you know, illegal Chileans that were here would um, had their their information networks and how they they shared um, info on who was getting busted and when they were coming to get raided and all of those sorts of things. And it sounds like it sounds like fiction when I hear about it. It's hard to imagine that those are people that I know, and it's also hard to reconcile that with the fact that there are people going through that in our community right now. You know, people who who are being detained and who don't have rights, who don't have um, support networks to to turn to. And um, and are feeling, you know, as, much, as uncertain as we're all feeling right now, they're even in a more precarious situation. So it's that's the hard thing, that it's still going on. It's still real for so many people. I think that's really present in my mind too as we're talking, Mia, that... Um, you know, the, the, what my, my mum went through as like, a, you know, a person who came here, uh, you know, seeking asylum essentially, and what my dad came, went through coming here as a, as a migrant from India, you know, it's the same experience that people living in Fairfield in 2021 are going through, right? They, they don't have much in the way of reserves. They don't know their way around. Often they're coming to it with English as a second, third, fourth language. Um, they're insecure with a precarious visa status. They're not eligible for a lot of the supports that, you know, citizens often take for granted. They're having to find their own way through it. And, you know, when my parents went through this, 
at least they all had each other. At least they could all support each other and be there in person and talk through it and have a barbecue and like dance their way through it. Right now, everybody's going through it wherever they happen to be locked down. Um, and they're feeling all of this additional pressure of policing and enforcement in their communities too. When a lot of people have trauma and experiences that they're coming from, that would be exacerbated by that. I can't help but think, you know, that's my family. That's what I think. It's that's my family just, you know, a few decades on, essentially. Of course. You mentioned that your dad had come from India. Was he settled in Fairfield as well when he arrived? He initially was in Canley Vale, I think, um, which is nearby. And then um, my my folks moved when they got together, they moved to Croydon. Let's, let's talk about where your folks were when they got together, because that's a really lovely, meet cute story, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So my, my dad was the foreign exchange teller at Burwood West Pack. And my mum was the person in her you know, network who spoke the most English. And so she would um, go in and do the international, like the basically the, ex- the cash exchanges on behalf of everyone. And that's how they met. <laughs> um, and they met and then they ended up being getting married like three months later. It was pretty whirlwind. So next time you're looking for love, just head to the bank <laughs> and see what happens. This is why we have to keep banks <laughs> staffed with people. This is how people are meeting. <laughs> and then your parents ended up working downstairs from your maternal grandparents. Yeah, so my my family um, have always really been into fashion and clothes. And um, and so my parents ended up opening a fashion uh, store, like a, a fashion shop. And um, my first memory, actually my earliest memory is when I was three years old, um, going on a buying trip to um, France and Spain with my mum and my grandma, which is pretty fancy and fabulous and so um that was my that's my sort of earliest memories they went went on a buying trip to import fashion and then my parents really got interested in buying and selling um Australian designers and in the 80s there was this sort of like big um, renaissance of Australian fashion and so you had people like Linda Jackson and Jenny Key coming through and um, a whole bunch of people that my grandma used to be sample a sample maker for some of them Um, and my parents used to sell their clothes and then also my dad used to um, drive around New South Wales and with a whole bunch of fashion in his van and he would sell it to like regional regional fashion stores too and wild things have happened like (laughs) I have this Linda Jackson um, jacket that I bought at a secondhand shop and is like one of my prized possessions and my mum looked at it and she said your nanny made that like that's a sample from like early Linda Jackson so it's yeah it's amazing like that they were were part of that beautiful world yeah of course another place you went traveling overseas when you were younger was back to Chile tell me about that yeah so um in 1990 um Pinochet um was um deposed or I suppose that they they had they had free elections for the first time and and um and they had a referendum and they ended the dictatorship and um and then my mum was able to to go back to Chile for the first time and so we went on a holiday um in in uh, around then and my parents loved it so much that we just stayed and um and so yeah so I went to school in um in Chile and lived in a, a city called Santiago um sorry a, a city called Viña del Mar which is like a beautiful like resort town it's kind of like the Noosa of of Chile and um 
it was it's a really fabulous fantastic place yeah I loved it when you say stayed how long were you there for we were there for almost two years whoa that's a massive holiday (laughs) (laughs) it was eventually my parents are pretty spontaneous and um they ended up going and then like ended up running a nightclub there uh which was like an uh an ancient like a a King Arthur themed nightclub called Excalibur. Um, so they, it was really strange. I had a strange childhood. Um, I remember like my, my like outstanding memory of that was Faith No More came to pro, pro, like uh, perform at the Vigna Festival, Festival de Vigna, which is like their big deal. And like, I was like standing in the back room of the nightclub looking out and like Faith No More came into the club. And I'm like, I don't know why an 11 year old was at the club that night, but um, it was... It was a strange, it was a strange time. <laughs> it was a strange time. But, um, but yeah, it was a really, it's a really, it was a really interesting and colourful and, um, you know, passionate and, and and diverse group of people working at that nightclub. And it's a strange thing for a kid to like grow up around a nightclub, but it's also really fun. Is there anything in particular from those two years you spent in Chile that you think you know, you learnt and have carried through now to your role as Deputy Lord Mayor of City of Sydney? Whatever you think is normal and whatever you think is just the way things are done, it's just, that's just not true. Um, that's just the way things are done right here, right now for this split second of, of history. Um, and the world is has vastly more options um, and alternatives and ways of living than you know when you're in your bubble. Um, and unfortunately right now we're in like the bubble of bubbles. Like we've been in a bubble for basically a year and a half and we're all in a bubble of our own homes. Um, so what it taught me was that you have to look beyond what you know and learn from everywhere and that there are solutions and alternatives and different ways of being everywhere. And so common sense or just the way things are done, it's just, that, that's not true. Mm. It's, it's not, a, it's not, that's not fact. It's, um, it's just one, one perception of the world um, frozen in time yeah. and the world is much more interested and varied than that. And I, I want to come back to that exact thought because I feel like what you've just said really captures the essence of your book glimpses of utopia so we'll come back to that later but right now I want to get to the end of that two-year stint in Chile why did you have to leave um we had to leave because both my mom and my grandma got breast cancer um and I'm so sorry yeah at, at the same time yeah actually within they were diagnosed within like two weeks of each other uh and so they we left um and um because you know healthcare is a totally different thing over there to here and um and they knew that they would get really great care in Australia look I also think like the shine had worn off the nightclub and the like all the various other things that were happening but yeah they they got sick and we came back and we came back to a whole different situation like we came back and we were living in one bedroom of my cousin's house in Campbelltown and like we came back with with nothing and so I guess my family story is a story of just like starting again over and over and over again (laughs) so so we basically started again but this time from Campbelltown not from Fairfield and so they both underwent treatment at the same time did they come out of that okay yeah they did and they they were okay yeah they both recovered 
But yeah, it was a really, really difficult time. Uh, I remember I was in year six and, um, you know, they were in treatment at Royal Prince Alfred and we were living in Campbelltown and like, it was really rough. Um, it was a really rough time. But they did, but they both are so, were, my grandma has passed away, but they were, you know, both so resilient and funny and strong and had been through so much already that this was just another thing that they were going to get through. Um, so it was a, an interesting reintroduction to Australia, I have to say. I think that that's a really beautiful way to close off this chapter. Let's close it with a song as well. What's the next one you'd like to play for today, Jazz? Well, look, my people are dancing people and uh, Gloria Estefan is a very important uh, figure in the world of Latin American culture. Uh, so this is a song, okay, I'm going to say this is for my grandma um, who would have danced her way through anything. Um, and this is Turn the Beat Around by Gloria Estefan. Amazing. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. the beat around it was Gloria Estefan on FBI Radio 94.5 this show is out of the box my name is Mia Hull and today I am joined by Jess Scully the City of Sydney Deputy Lord Mayor just before we were talking about your time in Chile and your return to Australia I want to jump ahead to the mid 90s you're a teen by this stage if we take a trip down memory lane and visit teenage Jess right now, who, who do we meet? Oh, my God, such a nerd. I think there were my, my passions for music and making had really started to flourish in my like mid to late teens. Um, and I had kind of not felt like I understood this place or fit in very well. I was going to an agricultural high school in Glenfield, Helston Agricultural, um, which was fascinating because like, it, you know, it's got a, a really significant number of boarding students who are from the country. And so there's a whole other world that I was introduced to of like what it's like to be a rural kid, um, what it's like to be a suburban kid. And, um, you know, so I didn't, really feel like I fit in there but then I remember one day uh, I wagged sport and went caught the train to Newtown for some reason I don't know why I went to Newtown but I went to Newtown and got off the train and was just suddenly like uh, like the had discovered this world that I didn't even know was there where you know there are all these like record shops and like vintage shops and you know people just getting around with their own aesthetic and their own kind of identity and it just blew my mind and so I think around this stage I'd started to discover you know Australian music and um, fashion and like going to gigs and um, so that was the real the center of my world at that point and that's how I sort of created my identity and meaning and my community through music. And with this new idea of what 
your identity is and what you're interested in, did those things play a role in your choice of uni and what you ended up studying? I think so. I mean, I think I had really good intentions. Like I was going to be um, like a political journalist. That's what I was going to do. So I wanted to study journalism and law. Uh, but then that love for making and creativity and culture just like totally skewed me. Um, and while I was at uni, like probably second year uni, I got completely distracted by the creative industries and went into making magazines, writing about fashion and music and art and um, and design. And so I sort of got swept away in that direction again. And, and that's, I think, how my career took that turn at that point. And it probably took another turn at that point as well, because your entry into writing and magazines and editing kind of paralleled the entry of those things by the digital era (laughs) (laughs) tell me about how how the digital era impacted your your life as a magazine editor yeah look probably getting into magazines in the early 2000s was not like a totally genius career move um I, i kind of feel like i've been in a succession of industries that just got disrupted over and over like journalism as a starting point you know suddenly I remember while I was at uni I did like the the online journalism module um was was basically build your own website uh because it was so alien to the world of media and journalism that there would be they'd be producing and, and presenting content online like they just had no idea that was coming um, and likewise, you know, I was one of, you know, helped to, to found a music magazine with a bunch of people. And at the same time that the music industry was being totally disrupted by, you know, um, online services like Napster and, and, and you know, LimeWire and all of those kinds of services, even before streaming came into account. So, um, so that sector was going through a huge disruption. So it was a real moment of flux where you had all of this incredible content and people making great work, but the way that they would get paid for it and the way that they would get that to an audience was being disrupted and monopolized before their eyes. And the industries hadn't caught up. And I say, you know, 20 years later, the industries haven't really caught up um, in, in a lot of ways. And journalism and music is still suffering as a result of that. And I guess facing those disruptions over and over and over again might play into you now wanting to be part of the solution. At the time, could you see a solution? Were you starting to think of yourself as a person who might find the answer to this really complicated puzzle? What I was finding was that people were having the same challenges in adjacent industries but not learning from each other or talking to each other. So, you know, photographers and filmmakers were going through their own version of this but not talking to music and, you know, people in the performing arts were having challenges around accessing audiences at the same time that people in music and performance were, you know, so, and I think that's still true in my career. Like, you know, I'm working on projects today that are about saying, hey, did you know those people over there that you think look really different to you and what you do are having the exact same problems and they might have some of the solutions and we all need to work together. So what I've always thought of as my role is as a creative connector and working to connect people across industries and to have a common purpose and to um, to collaborate on solutions and to make their cases, you know, to either to governments or to audiences about how they, they need to work together. And in a few minutes time, I, I want to talk more about being a creative communicator and all the other ways that you've flourished as a creative in Sydney. But first, we're going to jump into a song by Regurgitator. 
why have you chosen this one? Uh, so this is definitely from the uh, the beginning of, of this chapter. So I loved, you know, Australian music just completely rocked my world in the 90s. Like it was just this really vital and fun and fresh period of Australian music and I think a band like Regurgitator were so playful and innovative actually with the way that they bridged the gap between rock and electronica and um, and you if you listen to this album unit today it's still really fresh and excellent and this album is from 1997 um, and it's still just a fantastic album uh, and this song I think is one of is so typical of regurgitator in that it is both completely twisted and also triumphant and transcendent beautiful pop uh, and I love it it's called just another beautiful story You heard it here first on FBI Radio 94.5. The City of Sydney Deputy Lord Mayor reckons this holds up. It's Regurgitator and just another beautiful story. are listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or if you're streaming on the website that was just another beautiful story it was by Regurgitator and we're in the thick of a beautiful story right now on Out of the Box I am joined by uh, she's rolling her eyes oh you're so smooth Mia thank you (laughs) the City of Sydney Deputy Lord Mayor Jess Scully Jess, before that song, we talked about a bunch of creative industries that you worked in that faced major disruptions. What was the next step forward from those disruptions? So I ended up working in magazines for, I don't know, seven or eight years. And I worked in a whole bunch of different magazines, like music, fashion, like design, visual art, like, and, and lots of projects. And like, when you work as a like I've always worked as a contractor and freelancer and so I've as a sole trader so I've like done lots and lots of projects simultaneously um and one of the projects that I was working on eventually became this thing called the Qantas Spirit of Youth Awards which was like a mentorship and grant program to support um, emerging creatives um and so I worked on that for six or seven years at the same time as a bunch of other stuff and then that eventually got me into this position where I was able to to be a part of the team that founded Vivid Sydney and um the part of Vivid Sydney that I uh, was responsible for eventually became Vivid Ideas initially it was called Creative Sydney and then became Vivid Ideas and it was about that group about like how do you support and connect and and get people to learn across creative industries because you know I really believe that these industries are the new economy they're the foundation of this more sustainable and inclusive future that we need to build but at the moment you know they're considered hobbies or they're considered nice to have or you know a luxury on top of real industries like mining or construction or agriculture and i think they uh, they're the, the sector that we really need to develop um and so i spent their nine years working um, on vivid ideas and helping to create this platform um, about bringing together creative industries and getting them to learn from each other um but i've always loved events and you know the the magic that happens when you get people in a room to share ideas and learn from each other and I always 
would find that whatever was happening on the stage was just bait to get the right audience in the room so that they could meet each other and, you know, talk to the person in the seat next to them. And I myself learned and made great connections just from talking to people I met at events. Like no matter what was actually going on on stage, it's what was going on in the audience that was really exciting. Mm, Well, let's talk about getting in a room and talking to the person next to you. How did you come to meet the New South Wales Minister for the Arts, Jess? <laughs> um, so I, um, while I was working on Vivid, um, I was uh, invited to a dinner and uh, at a really nice Italian restaurant. And so I went and I sat next to the Minister for the Arts at the time, um, who was Virginia Judge. And um, I don't know, I probably had a few wines and you know, just started telling her all my opinions about things and like, and another thing, here's what you should fix, blah, blah, blah. And by the end of the dinner, she said, look, you've seemed to have a lot of great ideas. Um, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, I don't know. Um, recovering from this hangover, I suspect. And uh, (laughs) she said, all right, well, come and meet me here at 10 AM. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll do that. And, um, and then I showed up at that meeting the next day and there was like, it was what was then called Arts New South Wales. And there was just this room full of people, many of whom I knew, you know, were directors of various cultural institutions. And it turns out they were working on their new website and um, for, for arts at the time. And she said, this is Jess. I met her last night. She has a lot of ideas. Here you go. And she just launched me into this room and made me talk to these people. Like, I am really glad I didn't know that was about to happen um, because if I had any common sense, I would have been terrified and said no. Um, But out of that, I ended up, um, she did this to me a few more times. Um, And eventually I was like, hang on a minute, (laughs) what's going on here? And and I ended up working um, in her office uh, and learning about, you know, becoming a policy advisor that way. So what we're learning from this interview then is, you know, a few wines deep, you'll start to talk about the value of property and you'll fall into these amazing roles in the arts sector in New South Wales. I want to talk about another role soon, your role as an author and the book that you've gone on to write. But first, we're going to jump into a song by Kate Bush right now on Out of the Box. Tell me about this one, Jess. This is another incredibly uplifting song. I kind of feel like this is my my motivation mix that we're listening to today. <laughs> Look, yeah, it has some of the most ridiculous lyrics ever, you know, committed to song about Kate Bush's yo-yo, but it is utterly uh euphoric this song and and i challenge you not to not to get up out of your seat and swirl around while you listen to this one if you're driving a car definitely try not to do that it's kate bush and cloud busting on fbi radio 94.5 
cloud busting. It was Kate Bush on FBI Radio 94.5. My name is Mia Hull and right now I'm joined by Jess Scully, who is the City of Sydney Deputy Lord Mayor, a curator and the mother of two babies. I want to spend some time talking about your babies, Jess. Both of them, your daughter Eleanor and the book you dedicated to her, Glimpses of Utopia, were born at a pretty pivotal time in your life. Tell me about that. Both uh, Eleanor and Glimpses, um, you know, have come up in a really challenging period. I mean, it's hard to think back beyond the current COVID crisis that we've been going through for the last two years. But, you know, I've spent a lot of time at protests in my life. And, you know, I remember taking Eleanor to um, the Sydney's Choking protest that happened um, in, in early 2020, I think it was, or late 2019. Um and I remember thinking, you know, this is going to be the moment when when we start to really tackle climate change and then seeing that moment kind of filter away. But what I really want to do is put forward not just things to protest against, but things to protest for, things to ask for when we want this better world, rather than just saying everything is broken now, actually having the solutions to fix it. And that's what Glimpses of Utopia is. It's uh, a sort of um, set of options, a a palette of colours or a menu of options from all over the world where we can borrow um, ideas and policies and projects to build this fairer, more sustainable world that we could have. Um, And that is really available to us. It seems to me like it keeps so much in line with what you were saying before about different industries sharing ideas that are going through the same things and offering advice to each other and glimpses of utopia reads like that it's you borrowing ideas from different places and putting them all into this utopia that is your book i'll pop a link to the book in the program's page on fbiradio.com so if anyone wants to know what a utopia looks like in sydney you can read it there Jess, you seem so optimistic about what the future holds for Sydney. What exactly do you see when you look forward? You know, I think we have everything going for us. We are the luckiest place I can think of in the world, even where we're sitting right now, you know, all locked away from each other, um, you know, in August 2021. You know, we have this young, creative, diverse Um, you know, globally connected, motivated, educated community. We have incredible creativity. We live in one of the most beautiful and privileged places in the world. You know, what I want Sydney to be is a place that incubates and prototypes the world that could be, that fairer world. And we have all of that at our fingertips. But the only way we can achieve that on that potential is if everyone plays a role. And to me, you know, when people ask me what a utopia is for me, for me, a utopia is a place where everyone feels valued and recognised and everyone has a role to play. So I'm not prescriptive about the outcome, but I'm prescriptive about the process, that it's something that involves everyone. And for me, a utopia is a place where people don't outsource their responsibilities as citizens it's a place where everyone feels like I have to be a part of that change I have to contribute it you know which means being active it means actually saying do you know what I want sustainability in a concrete way on my street 
at, at my park in my neighborhood and I'm willing to stand up in favor of it, not just against things. You know, it means I want venues like this. I want performances like this and I'm going to show up to defend them and fight for them. So it's, it requires a lot on everybody's part, right? It requires us all to be aware and active but I think we can do it. And I think if there's anywhere in the world that has all the ingredients to do it, it's this place. Amazing. That, that's such an uplifting message to end this episode on. Jess Scully, thank you so much for joining me today on Out of the Box. Thank you, Mia. So lovely to be here. What song would you like to close out this interview with? Well, this is for Eleanor. Um, this is one of her, you know, I'd say probably top five songs. Uh, and... Um, Let's end on an uplifting note. This is Hip Hop Hooray by Naughty by Nature. We'll jump into that one right now on FBI Radio 94.5. And if you did want to listen back to this interview with City of Sydney Deputy Lord Mayor Jess Scully, you can do so on the program's page on fbiradio.com or stream the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Big shout-outs to producer Glenn for doing all the prep for this episode and stick around. Lunch up next, FBI. Hip Hop Hooray!